0: Church today is Pentecost, the day we remember the birth of the church, where the windswept power of the Holy Spirit came into the world and the church was born. And our story picks up today in Acts chapter 2. And the disciples, by this point, they have replaced Judas. They are in the city of Jerusalem, and it is the festival of Shavuot, and they are waiting. Or what's next? And have I got a story for you? It begins in Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to read all 21 verses so you can hear the entire story. It says, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rushing of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in their native language. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us, in our own native language? Parthenians, Mides, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Figria and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to the Cyrene and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs in our own languages We hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying one to another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, Let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Now this story is the birth of the church. If I were to put candles on a birthday cake, we'd need to get those joke candles that you can never blow out because the spark, the miracle of this story still lives on 2,000 plus years later. All the disciples were in Jerusalem. Luke, who is the writer of Acts, tells us it was the festival of Shavuot, A festival that celebrates the giving of the law, the Torah, to Moses on Mount Sinai. It happens 50 days after Passover, hence Pente 50, where we get the name. And what are the disciples doing? Are they out and about among the people? Are they spreading the good news? No. They're hanging low, they're all by themselves, staying together, just waiting. You know i read an article this week that had this i think really clever analysis by this minister she took the disciples through what is known as the social readjustment scale and that's a tool that psychologists developed to help people understand how their level of stress can make them more vulnerable to illness both positive and negative things they all have a level of stress to them And for example, well, she took them through the whole entire scale, all the things that they had gone through in the last six weeks, except for the part about um, a friend being raised from the dead, because that was not on the scale as an option. But all the other things she went through with the disciples. And for example, um, things like, uh, let's see, death of a close friend, trouble with the law, change in your family situation, moving getting a new job all these things have levels of stress in our lives and can make us more susceptible to illness and a score uh below 149 was a low susceptibility low stress low vulnerability a score between 150 and 299 was a medium level of susceptibility to illness and anything over 300 was a high level of stress. And the disciples' score was 644. Now, maybe after this past year, maybe after homeschooling your children unwillingly, um, maybe you think, I could beat 644. I I could beat that. But you have to admit, this is a pretty high level of stress. Their lives have been upended. So much has changed. So much has gone on. And here they are. They're just trying to make it. They're together in a room. They don't know what's going to happen next. Maybe, maybe they are contemplating their plan B. Uh, maybe I can go home and live with my parents again. Maybe I can take up fishing to make a living. They're waiting. When the windswept power of the Holy Spirit comes like a fire into the room. And suddenly, they can begin to understand and communicate with people across languages and cultures. They could understand all the world that's just outside their door. All these people that are there for the festival, they can suddenly communicate with all these people. It's like the walls of division of us and them come down. And they go out and they begin to talk about what God has done Now, these aren't scribes or scholars. They're not rich. They're not particularly respected. No authority, no power. But they open their doors, and they begin to talk to the people around them. And it doesn't take long before people start thinking things are a little strange. In fact, they think they are drunk. And that's when Peter steps in to the front and begins to preach. Now, you remember Peter, right? Peter, that brash, brazen disciple, he had told Jesus that he would go and die for him. And in the end, he got scared. Was he ashamed to be seen as one of his followers? Was he just plain old afraid that what had happened to Jesus was going to happen to him next? Do you remember around a fire? How he couldn't even fess up to knowing Jesus. Again and again and again, he denied him. Have you ever let someone down so monumentally that all you want to do is run from it? Not only do you want to face, not face the person that you have disappointed, but you don't want to face it in yourself. So ashamed, so disappointed i remember speaking to someone some years ago and he told me that um, years ago he and his brother got into it at a family dinner and they haven't spoken to each other since and it had been years and the chasm of that divide had just grown and grown and what he said to me is i desperately want it to be different i want to fix this I want to fix this. But he thought it just seemed so big. Time had made it so much bigger. He was embarrassed about how long it had been. And I remember what he ended up deciding to do was to just send an email. You know, sometimes I think things in our life can be so big and so scary that we just have to chip away at it little by little. So he sent an email. Peter had let Jesus down. He'd been there for all the wonderful mountaintop moments. He'd been there for the miracles. He'd left everything to follow him, and then he did the very thing that he swore he would never, ever do. And you'd think after something like that, Peter would just keep his head down and his mouth shut. But, but at Pentecost the fiery moment he steps forward and begins to speak and he starts out with i think what has to be a little bit of a rough sermon because he says look we aren't drunk yet it's only nine o'clock that is sort of a pitiful excuse of defense really so he says no it's only nine o'clock we're not drunk but then he quotes from the prophet joel you know joel He says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophecy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Pentecost is often remembered as the story that is the opposite of the Tower of Babel. Instead of of divisions, it's a moment of unity where the walls of division come down. That people could cross those language and cultural bounds and begin to communicate with each other. But that is not the only special thing about this moment. The miracle of that moment isn't just that they could communicate with each other. It's that they realized that they had something to say. Something important to say. No more huddled around locked doors, waiting and hiding after Pentecost. Those scared disciples realized that they had a message to share with the good good news of Jesus Christ to a hurting world. And they walked out of the room, and frankly, I don't think they ever looked back. The church, the early church, just explodes in the Mediterranean. People were perplexed by these Christians. Who are these people that crossed national and cultural and language bounds who didn't de- define themselves by a class or a race or power or language? They were people who would be arrested for their faith and even willingly die. Who were these Christians? Who is this Jesus? Jesus? People wanted to know, and they weren't particularly special people, fishermen, mostly common, ordinary, no real power, no money at all, no degrees to hang on their walls, just average ordinary people, people who were so obviously broken and flawed and made mistakes. but the wind sweat power of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost changed things. God used broken and imperfect people. They had something to say to the world. Peter reminded them, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. All people. You people. You, that, that means you. And what words are you saying, what do you have to say to the world? It's, it's good every now and then to reflect on our words. Uh, I saw a quote recently that said, at the end of my life I would like to say I contributed more than I criticized. What do our words say about us? Do What about our social media? What words do we offer there? Do we bring about unity? Do we offer mercy, compassion? When I became a parent, I became so well humbled, frankly, by the power of hearing my own words come back to me. <laughs> evidently, I say evidently, a lot. <laughs> but what are, our, what are our children, what are the children in your life hearing about who they are? What do they hear about what we think about the world around us? Do we speak words that seek to heal brokenness? Do we speak about Jesus' mercy and grace and forgiveness in our lives? You know, last Sunday, I was talking about communion, and I happened to mention a communion I remembered on a rooftop in Haiti. And Haiti, as you know, I've mentioned before, has a special place in my family's life, especially after Mark survived the horrendous 2010 earthquake. But this particular trip with that communion that I remembered was on a trip about a year and a half after the earthquake. And having been to Haiti once before, knowing their gracious hospitality, the first time I had been there when they heard that I was a pastor, our host that Saturday, said to me, okay, on Sunday morning, we want you to offer a word, pastor, and it totally stressed me out i didn't sleep hardly at all that saturday night trying to figure out what i was going to say in church the next day and so this time i was going to be prepared you won't surprise me haitian so i came prepared with my own notes of what i was going to say just in case someone asked me to speak on sunday morning and guess what they said pastor we want you to speak in church today and i was like i'm ready I brought my little notes out and I gave it my best, whatever I had to offer. And there was this lovely lady who was serving as my translator and I was hoping whatever I was saying, she was making it a whole lot better in Creole than it was in English. And I got to the end of my uh, words that I had prepared and I said, Amen. And my translator, she said those last few sentences and she said, Before she said amen, she looked at me and she said, that's it? That's it? Surely you have more, Pastor. And I assure you, I did not have more. And there in that moment, on the spot, suddenly, I was mindful that we were standing in a church that was being rebuilt. That this church, this congregation that's actually what our group was there to do that week, This church um, had collapsed in the earthquake, the minister's house collapsed in the earthquake as did most of the congregate's homes and they were building back their church with concrete floor, we were standing with cinder block walls that were still going up and no roof above us and the minister's family was living in two rooms beside the church and he led the morning singing with a beautiful accordion and Uh, His wife was teaching children in that same space with no roof still on it, trying to teach and get kids in school, even if it was just an informal way of learning. And, you know, I was very aware that I needed to be the one sitting and listening because I was so overcome by their strength, by their determination, by their faith, their faith. They were preaching to me. The gift of something to say, right? So I just decided to tell them that. And I forever look back on that moment as about the time I started the sermon. The gift of something to say to the world. The miracle of Pentecost lives on in you. We are the church, the body of Christ, and the light, that spark of that moment, can never be blown out. You have something to say. You who get sick to your stomach every time you're asked to speak in front of any group. You who like to think you've got to be so prepared and in control. You who know what it is to live with fear and shame and regret. You who might think you are nothing special. God can use you. And if you don't believe it, have I got a story for you. Amen.